Well, good morning, Chorus Church. How's it going? Yeah, I'm glad you assistant pastor guy introduced there. My name's Carrie, and I still feel like I'm the new guy around here. I am so excited about today. I, this is a good Sunday to be together, 10-year anniversary of who we are as a church. We're going to be doing some different kinds of pieces, components there. But um, I was also excited this weekend because it rained here in California. I actually saw real rain. In fact, I was up at Jer's house and we heard thunder. He lives up there on that hill on the other side of the 15 and heard thunder and a lightning bolt. I felt like I was back in the Midwest. You know, welcome home, Carrie. That's what I thought. This is good. And, you know, I, find, I was just waiting. I mean, I've been here since November. And they say creek or river. And I'm like, there's no creek or river there. I saw creeks and rivers this week. There you go. That's so cool. Hey, uh, this is the 10-year anniversary of this church. It was 10 years ago, the first Sunday of March, that Chorus Church had their first public gathering. And uh, so we're here to uh, just thank God for his goodness and the run that we've been able to be on as a church body. And uh, this morning, we also have the special privilege to invite back the founding pastor and his wife who started Chorus Church. And I want to invite Dave and Elena Reynolds, if they would come up, as well as I think a couple of their boys are here. Come all the way up on the stage. we got to see you. And Daniel is much smaller. <laughs> no, Daniel, Stan, you're, you're, you're good there. Yeah, you're going to stand up here. Um, Dave and I, we spent two and a half hours together on Friday morning at Starbucks. And, um, <laughs> but uh, it was just uh, a joy to get to know him better. We had lunch a few months ago when I first came. But um, these people that stand before you um, deserve rightful um, appreciation for the work in bringing us to this point as a church. And it only made sense to have you guys back on this Sunday. And so just share a few words of greeting. I I just met Daniel. I heard about him. Uh, (laughs) You know, I heard the three boys, that kind of thing and uh, whatever. But a word of greeting and just about standing here before this body on this day. We're going to come back and talk later in the service together, uh, Dave and I are, but uh, just give a word of greeting. Okay. Hey, everybody. <laughs> so great to see you. So thrilled that God has called Carrie and Melissa and their family here, and uh, just love you guys, and it's great to see you. I'll chat with you more later, but it's kind of you to invite us here. It means a lot to us. Uh, deepen up within our spirit. So thank you. The hugs are great. Seeing you guys is great. And uh, good morning. Happy Sunday, as Ryan would say. <laughs> you sure you don't want to share, Elaine? Oh, I'll just start sharing that. <laughs> share a word. It's, she didn't it's just wonderful to see you all. And those of you that we have the privilege to share our lives with, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Oh, pause, pause, pause. Pause, pause. You know, we did this in the first service, and I always hate it. Like, you have to, like, sometimes pretend in the second service that you didn't do something in the first service. Yeah. Well, and, and in the first service, we just wanted to show our appreciation to them by giving um, them a thank you card, but also a financial gift of appreciation. And so 
don't throw this card away. This isn't, uh, we, we, we split the gift, all right? But thank you. Thank you. <laughs> See, that's a classy move. I'm going to throw it away. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I'm getting used to this two-service thing. I came from a place that just had one, so that's cool. Uh, that's a good group of people here today. Can we just go before Jesus and pray? Oh, Father, we just humble ourselves before you and all. None of us would be in this room today gathered to be able to sing worship and seek your face, to be able to reflect on your goodness of ten years and look to another ten-year run if you would so tarry, Jesus if it was not for your work in our lives. And so we worship you. And Lord, whether we come here this morning as um, long-time people, part of this local church, or maybe we're first-time people this morning, or maybe people that have moved on to other vibrant fellowships and we're back for this special day, I just pray that we would be one as you, Father, and the Son and Holy Spirit are one. And may we seek your face afresh and anew to hear from you your word your instruction, your new, fresh recommissioning of us for another decade of service to you, if you so tarry. So, Lord, to that end, bless these moments. Take us to your heart. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The first service told me that I can use this word. I have to watch my words because there's certain words that aren't used here that are used in the Midwest, like pop and soda. I'm getting that one right. Billfold and wallet. That's another one. Uh, but they told me first service I can use this word. The word dander. When's the last time you got your dander up? You know what I'm saying by that? Your dander about, you know, maybe some issue or whatever. But when's the last time you got your dander up about being on mission for Jesus Christ and being able to be a steward of the good news? Well, it happened to me afresh this week in an unexpected moment. Uh, my wife, Melissa, is back in Indiana helping our, two of our boys navigate through their high school days there a little bit, and she'll be back in a couple weeks here for, uh, with us again. And so I am now the single dad to the 10-year-old fourth grade girl, and it's going okay. It's going okay. We were worried about this. And so she and dad are doing very well, and uh, one of the responsibilities of the single dad is to take the child to school every day. And I don't know why they don't have buses in this valley, but they don't. And, and so we take the child to school, and there's this whole system, a drop-off, that kind of thing. She goes to Temecula Valley Charter School up here off Washington. And uh, it was just a typical day trying to navigate this. And one of the things, you know, I sort of do is I look around, and I, I try to think past the, the masses of people. Like if you get frustrated if somebody's in front of you cutting you off or people traffic here, just, just learn to pray for those people. Lord, help me to pray for them. I, I, I don't know what's going on in their life right now, but pray for them, right? And so I'm sort of thinking through that grid a little bit and um, noticing the kids, thankful for God to have the Temeca uh, Charter School and, the, and, the, and the, there were many great Christian people there, actually, and, uh, and all that's happening with my daughter and her smooth acclimation. And then I noticed there's a vehicle in front of me that has bumper stickers. I, you may be one of these bumper sticker people here. Don't get offended if, if, if not. But, you know, I'm always interested by the bumper sticker kind of things and how people sort of like to plaster on their life uh, their thoughts or beliefs or their, you know, alliances, that kind of thing. And all that's cool. And I saw this and it caught me because it said uh, living happily. And I thought, well, that's good. Living happily. And then I saw it. So living happily without religion. 
And then I thought, well, that's interesting. Now, what do they mean by that? And I wasn't quite too sure. And so it was happilywithoutreligion.org. I went back to my study. I typed in the video. and I mean, typed in, typed in the website. And this is the video on the front of the page. Millions of Americans are living happily without religion. It's really quite simple. We are the products of the billions of years that came before us, alive and awake for this brief period of time, savoring every moment, and committed to making the world a better place. We are the human family, connected. We experience together the human condition in all of its triumphs, and through all of its challenges. We accept that our lives will end, but we take great joy in knowing that life keeps going. We celebrate the advances and discoveries that each day improve lives, stir our imagination, and stretch the boundaries of the possible. Ultimately, we know we are a tiny but unique part of the ever-evolving story of life in the cosmos, responsible for living our lives with honesty, dignity, compassion, and truth. We also know it is a magnificent story, and we are thrilled to be here. We are secular humanists, and we are living happily without religion. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but it's fairly well done in one sense. But how do you feel right now? You're not quite sure what to do with that. (laughs) Right? Well, I got my dander up because, I mean, I just wanted to go, go back and find the car and hug the person and say, listen, you got some good thoughts going there, but there really is a grander picture. And here's your problem. The problem is you have a religion. Secular humanism is a religion. Whatever your ideology is or your belief, your thinking, that is your religion. You may not be a radical about, you know, uh, showcasing it. And, And this particular individual probably was. And so that's great. It's a whole organization about Center for Free uh, Integrated or Free Thinking or whatever. But um, I I just got my dander up because I am so glad that I get to engage people, even people, maybe you're one of them this morning, who are wrestling through things from another side of the equation and trying to figure out. Because the reality is I'm excited about life too and the continuation of life. But this life does not end. We were born to live. We were not born to die. And I, I could find myself putting a bumper sticker like that on my car too, but it wouldn't be because I don't believe in life, eternal life, and there's a God. I'm not, I'm not living with religion either, and I'm pretty happy. But I am living with a relationship with the God of the universe. And here's the thing about this morning. We're going to do a little bit of reflecting in a second about the 10-year run. But we have been in a huge shift leadership-wise and those kinds of things. And we're going to see the continuity of the vision carry through from the first decade to what we're stepping into as a second decade. But at the heart and soul of it, 
is God's calling in our life as a people, as individuals, as families, as small groups, as a church body. God's calling in our life to be missionaries. And I don't know if that word scares you or not, but God has called us to be on mission together. And one of the things that thrills my soul when it comes to this life is it's not about me. It's about him. We had the opportunity yesterday, uh, my oldest son, Ryan, and my 10-year-old daughter, Grace, we went to see the Son of God. How many of you have seen the Son of God movie? I know some of you went already and they packed out some theaters. Go and see the movie, all right? And again, if you remember, I showed the trailer up the other day. We don't have time to show the trailer and get on it. But the first part of it, I, you know, I, I liked how they started the whole thing. And then, and, then the, and then there's that scene where Jesus calls Peter to himself to be a fisher of men. He's calling Peter to be a, a what? A missionary, right? <laughs> to be on mission. And Peter says, well, what are we going to do? And Jesus says, we're going to change the world. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. We're going to change the world. But I thought, what contrast between the huge epic that we are a part of, of all times, that we get to participate in, that we have a key role in, versus the nebulous, I'm not quite sure how to take that video kind of belief. Because the reality is, the Christian faith isn't about the afterlife. The Christian faith is about life. It's about life. And we are called to participate in this great epic of what he is doing. And for those who are on the outside looking in at whatever dimensions or doubt, I'm like, we got to tell them. we got to tell them. And we also have to tell them that people that went before us weren't stupid people. It's not like we've come to this age of science and we've become all enlightened. The human condition has been here forever since Adam and Eve were first created and the fall happened. And we are a product of generations, centuries, millenniums of human beings trying to figure out why are we here, what's the purpose of life, where are we going. And when I climb into Scripture, I see the Apostle Paul wrestling with those kinds of people as surely as we would wrestle with trying to understand the angle of a secular humanist and his religion or her religion. In fact, when I went back to my study to, to think through this, I was, I, the, this passage came to my mind in 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul diligently engaging his culture, his world. And he says this to those who are in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 4, 3, it says... And even if our gospel is veiled, the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and all he's doing in this epic story of the ages and calling us in to his kingdom. And even if our gospel is veiled, is hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now, perishing is a pretty heavy word. It's like, oh, my gosh. And that's why people are like, you religious nuts. You think everybody's lost and going to hell. Well, Perishing may not just be the eternal perishing, and, and, and eternity is you're either wanting to live life in the presence of God, that would be heaven and the new heaven and the new earth, or you're not wanting to live your life in the presence of God, and that is eternal damnation or being cast away. And so whatever the concepts are, in Paul's mind, those who are perishing, those who are away from being people who live in the presence of God, it's veiled. The gospel, the good news, the kingdom of God is veiled from them. 
The God of this age, and I highlighted it, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Now, I could probably have several of you come up and give testimony to that this morning, that that's true. There was a place in your life where you were an unbeliever, you didn't believe, and maybe you believed in God, but you weren't following Jesus Christ. But there was, there was a hiddenness, there was a veiledness. And the God of this age was trying to bunk your way and say, no, don't, 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 man. We don't want you to know about the ultimate reality with God. And you came into the light and you discovered God. And you could give credence. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're wrestling through understanding what truth is. And you have a hunger to know God, maybe. And I'm just telling you, there is an adversary who wants to keep you in the dark. And he doesn't keep you in the dark by shunning you and putting you in a closet. Sometimes he keeps you in the dark by throwing out there all kinds of wiry philosophies and ideas and thinking and religions, if you will. And that's fine. Bring it on, I say. Because if Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, then bring it on. We will engage. We will engage dialogue, right? But the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is, who is the image of God. He goes on to say this, Paul does. Now, I, I want to drill down into this just a little bit. For we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And the reason I said that we are a part of multiple generations of humanity who have been trying to figure this out is because Paul is in Corinth with some intellectual elites here, maybe his secular humanists of the day, all right, whatever they were believing in, though they believe in multiple gods and those kinds of things. And he is trying to enlighten them to truth. And he is taking on some pretty strong minds and hearts and determined people. And he has to position to the people he's talking to the credibility of his pursuit of not only um, God, but a sense of morality and ethics. And he has three particular audiences that he's dealing with. You see, Paul was a Hebrew by birth. He was a citizen of Rome, and he was living in a Greek city. And to Hebrews, their understanding of the pursuit of truth and knowledge was summed up in, in the symbolism of light. And so he took the word light and used it. And they, they would describe, you know, for he is our... Uh, he is. Um, the light and our salvation for those who are living in darkness. There's appeared a great light. All right. And so the concept of light for the Hebrew is what draws them forward in the pursuit of knowledge and what ultimate truth is. For the uh, Greek, it was knowledge. That's why you'll find Bible writers saying something like, these things I have written that you may know that you have eternal life. So knowledge was key for the Greek. And then Rome, their pursuit of what was ultimate was glory. The Roman Empire and all that, the glory. So here's Paul wrestling with these type of dialogues that's going on. And he sums it up and he says that he has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He is light. He is knowledge. He is glory. And so when he stood before the secular world of his day, 
He was calling them out from different ranks to say it is summed up in the presence of Jesus Christ. And we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. I thought coming to this particular day, and I've been through anniversaries before with churches. In fact, uh, when I left the church I came from in Indiana, we had just celebrated our, our 20th anniversary, and I'd gone on a sabbatical as well and came back, and some changes started to be made in the course of that. And I'm mindful that as we celebrate a run, it's important to remember, as the Israelites did, God's work. And so we celebrate, you know, not that we came out of Egypt kind of deal, but we celebrate God's journey through the years. But the reality is, I never want it to be about us. Because we have no light, we have no knowledge, we have no glory. Jesus does. But here's Paul saying, we do not preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus as Lord. Chorus Church, we do not preach ourselves. We steward the message of the full gospel of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And get your dander up if you will, but we steward that message day in and day out, living it, breathing it, speaking it, doing the work as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but sign me up again. We'll take another 10-year run at it if the Lord tarries. And so I want to encourage us as we stand on this day. It's not really a swing gate kind of day. I think maybe that sort of happened when we started to make this transition last fall, and we'll get in that in a little bit. But We stand on this particular day in awe before a Lord and Savior who has been faithful to this body through your lives. But we stand on this day as a precipice to a future of even greater things. And those greater things are going to be defined not by us, but defined by the Spirit as we follow after His leading. Why was Paul in Corinth knocking it down with the minds of that day? Because he was obedient to the great commission that Jesus Christ gave. You know, in the movie that I watched yesterday and that y'all are going to go see, I don't get paid for it. I just think anytime you can, you know, go into one of those temples and see God glorified, it's great. The... Great Commission verse. Next slide. Jesus said this to them, and it was portrayed in the movie yesterday. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, my guess as the vast majority of us in this room this morning know that passage, heard that passage, heard Dave preach on that passage for the first 10-year run. The new guy shows up. He's still preaching on it. You know why? This is not our deal. This is Jesus' deal. And Jesus sent them out with that commission. And we have to be about that. And it's not optional for you to consider yourself as a missionary this morning. Do you realize that? Jesus didn't say, okay, we're going to divide the ranks here a little bit. I want, I want the four or five of you over here, and I'm going to give them a special word. And then the rest of you, I don't know, why don't you just go to Arby's or something. And, you know, he, he spoke into the whole group. And he said not just to them, but I believe there's others around them, and definitely the women that were around. Jesus gave them the commission to all go. 
because they were going. And we've talked about this before. The key verb here is make disciples. The go is assumed. As you go. I don't think any of you are sleeping in this building tonight. We're doing some renovations on the other side of the wall, but there are no bunk beds there. Okay? We are going. And as we go, we're to be missionaries, to be on mission, to take the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and make not just converts, but to make disciples. A disciple is someone who is a follower of. And that is the commission that will reside forever until Jesus Christ returns. And we need to be at it in effective ways. I believe sometimes more simple ways than we think. But we need to be at it, nevertheless, in a diligent measure, stepping across this threshold into the next decade of service for us as a church. Some of you may remember this diagram from when I first came. Any of you remember it? I know, like I said the other day, 90% of the people forget everything you say by, ni- by Monday morning. When I came, I spent six weeks walking through those six words. These words frame up a mission that God freshly put on my heart in coming to you as a body of people. You know, it was um, interesting how things sort of transitioned and aligned for this change. Um, I have known Bill Malik, the district superintendent here for the Alliance, our denomination, for a number of years off and on, and, and talked to him about that I transitioned away from the, my prior work in the Midwest after 20 years at one place. And, and uh, I didn't necessarily think about coming to Southern California, but he had talked to me about, you know, the possibility maybe some things might emerge. And then I get this call uh, that uh, the pastor of Chorus Church was stepping away from leading the church he started 10 years ago and was now going to be doing some more uh, work with the denomination and with the West Coast as it related to church planting, and he would like me, Bill wanted me to come and sort of check out this church. And I'm like, really? That's what's going on in my head. I don't know if I said that to you, Bill, or not. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I did my graduate stuff on the East Coast. I did some doctorate stuff here in California area. My son's here at APU, but I'm a Midwest boy. Really, God? And God orchestrated it that Dave uh, was moving into another dimension of life for him as a missionary. And God was asking me to be a fresh missionary and relocate. And that was not easy. Still is not easy. I don't like living the comings and goings at the moment. Hopefully we get everything squared away by June around here uh, for the Bowman family. But it's interesting because uh, Sunday... Um, Sanjoy's here, a new pastor, Alliance pastor I met who's in sabbatical. Sanjoy and I um, and uh, the Allens, we went to hear Ravi Zacharias preach up in Chino Hills on Sunday afternoon. Some of you know who Ravi is. He was a professor, mentor of mine. He's a great evangelist, communicator, apologist for the faith. And um, we heard Ravi uh, speak, and Ravi spoke uh, on God using hard knocks in your life to frame you and form you into his likeness and who he wants you to be. And it's like, oh, that's a good one for me to hear. you know. And one of the analogies he gave, I just throw this off, there's a little t- sidebar, a little cul-de-sac here. But he, uh, he said that Noah put everything in the ark except two things, sails and a rudder. No power. And no steering device. And he got in the ark. 
well, because I know Robbie through the years, I went up and tried to give him a quick greeting afterwards, and he said, Carrie, and I said, yeah, he says, he says, you're here now, where are you at exactly, he was trying to get it, he says, you okay, are you all right, I think, you know, is it a good opportunity, because it was a tough transition where I came from, and he had called me after that transition a year and a half ago, was the last time I probably talked to him, and I said, Robbie, all I know is that I got in the ark, and when the water subsided, I ended up in Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm getting out, and I'm checking out the environment, right? Well, I come here with a heart full of being on mission for Christ and contextualizing it to what God's called this particular body in this valley to do. And so after I was here in September, after I accepted the call to come, I had six intense weeks of writing a paper for my doctorate of ministry program at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena. Dina, I needed to get come before I came here November 1. I think I gave reference to that. It ended up being a 70-page paper, but in this, God helped flesh out or, you know, frame up in my heart a vision for this body. And it goes through these things. So we talked about, you know, how God starts with a man and, like, God brought Dave and Elena here to this valley. And they create a movement of a church, that kind of thing. Or I experienced the same thing when I started something. You can go back history, men, women, God using to start movements for Jesus. And then a lot of machinery gets into place. But sometimes, you know, just the nature of the beast. It's just the nature of the beast. As things get older and more structure put in, they may start to go down and do a recline thing or start to go down the backside of the hill and fall into to being, you know, a monument rather than a thriving movement. And so instead of blowing up the monument, you sort of have to jump the curve and get back on a fresh trajectory. And I remember listening to Dave in one of his last messages. He talked about Chorus 2.0 and, and refreshing vision. And then God sort of moved their hearts to go on to another missionary kind of calling that's broader, more regional. And then God brings in this farm kid from the Midwest. And he says, I want you to be here in this valley to work with things. Well, I framed up in this paper um, these six words represent the chapters. If God starts with the man... He gives the message, the mission, the ministry, the movement, and the manifestation. And this all is about Jesus because Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, is the one who creates the movement and ministry. I wrote this paper. When I came in November, behind the scenes, I met with the elders. And they basically they looked at me and said, what are we going to do? And I looked at them and said, we're going to change the world. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I said, let me share with you. Initiatives that God put on my heart that came through the writing of that, reflecting on who we are. And I want to read through those 20 initiatives here at this mile marker for us as a church. The ushers have these cards to pass out that have the 20 initiatives on them. I'm going to read straight through these initiatives. It's the same thing I did with the elders that first week in November, and I recently did it with our staff just three weeks ago. This card represents, I believe, you know, you're always hesitant to say, I heard from God, because, you know, I never want that to be presumption, okay? But this is what was laid on my heart for us as a church. And in this swing gate moment, we're going to see that the past and the future are tied together and that we have got a mission before us. So here we go. If you don't have it, you can catch up. An awakening in the Temecula Valley. Summary of initiatives, Carrie Bowman, November 2013. Revelation 1.5 says this, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and a priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The man. The first section is the man, the person of Jesus Christ. God begins with a man. Seek a fresh personal intimacy with Christ. Now these initiatives are both personal for me as a leader and for us as a church. 
you may find some affinity to them for your personal life too. Number one, seek a fresh personal intimacy with Christ, knowing I have been called by Jesus and called to Jesus. You remember me sharing on that? Prioritize devotional life and engagement with those walking close to Christ. This need is also for the church and leaders. Number two, ask God what he wants to do in the Temecula Valley, listening for his will if he had his way. This is a calling to listening prayer for the local body as well as the pastors and leadership teams of the CMA South Pacific District because we're talking about a grander vision than just you know what's happening here. Number three, wait patiently for the Lord's call to action, desiring Christ to always go before us. Continuing this discipline, continuing this discipline personally cultivated anew through ministry transmission that I just went through helps us follow Jesus and experience his anointing. Then the second section, the message, the full gospel of the kingdom of God. Number four initiative, study the kingdom message Jesus taught, personally digging into the gospels again through prayer. Review contemporary Christian works whose authors beckon the call to return to the kingdom gospel in master narrative. Number five, preach on themes arising from the kingdom gospel. Unifying the body around the ultimate spiritual worldview. Uphold Jesus as Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King, the fourfold gospel of the Alliance, and all teaching. Number six, network like-minded believers with kingdom hearts, including those inside and outside of the local church. Give attention to those coming from different personal backgrounds, persuasions, fellowships, ethnicities, and denominations. There's one church of Jesus Christ in this valley, isn't there? We partner together in forwarding the mission. Some of you may be here today and, and you've gone on to other fellowships and you're back for today. Praise God that you're knocking it down where you're at. Thanks for being a part of today. And though we'd love to have you here, if God's moved you on, so be it. But be about the one true church of Jesus Christ. The third section is the mission. The kingdom of God to the entire world. Number seven, lead staff, elders, and group leaders in a study of missiology, experiencing together the mobilizing call to be on mission. Use book reviews, online studies, and uncover effective missional models at home and abroad. The elders have been working on their first assignment in that. Number eight, model missional living in everyday life, beginning with my own family and those with church leadership responsibilities. Highlight and affirm other kingdom workers in the local church who exemplify a missional lifestyle, a sent lifestyle. Number nine, rewrite the mission of the church, bringing it into alignment with God's fresh purpose for the church to forward his reign in the valley, Southern California, and the world. A church name change is also in order for consideration, and, and that had been mentioned to me. The next section is the ministry, the labor of kingdom ambassadors. We then move on. Number 10, after alter measurable goals, defining success, supporting the vision for an outward focused church, keep weekend attendance and giving numbers in perspective while assessing better transformational and community activity numbers, maybe. Number 11, identify initial leadership teams to develop, placing importance on those who will develop others. A discipleship culture undergirds incarnational and missional activity. Prioritize weekly schedules to invest in emerging leaders. Number 12, foster community partnerships for kingdom impact, envisioning where the city, church, and God all intersect. Inroads include relief, mercy, justice, educational, medical, recreational, and youth family areas of influence. 
And then the next section is called the movement section. And this is sort of what we've been camped in for the last few weeks because we've been talking about missional communities. This section is entitled The Movement, The Multiplication of Missional Communities. And you'll see some familiarity with this and what we've been talking about in these weeks. Number 13, craft a rhythm of gathering and scattering, celebrating Christ and engaging the lost. Anchor the weekly gathering in a creative environment of energetic worship, catalytic preaching, and times of spirit-directed ministry. Number 14, multiply spirit-led missional communities, heeding the promptings of Jesus. Groups on mission, in obedience to the Spirit's voice, who demonstrate the gospel tangibly and declare it creatively to a pocket of people that God's calling them to reach. Number 15, construct extended family-sized communities. We refer to them as oikoses, right? Households of faith. Ranging from 20 to 50 adults, students, and children. Multiplication, sort of that mid-sized group. Multiplication will require building sustainable systems of leadership training, pastoral care, and missional imagination. Number 16, elevate people development and deployment, uplifting all people to use their gifts and take risks. Practice the priesthood of all believers. Hold missional leaders accountable for raising up new leaders within their group. And number 17, discover people of peace. Remember the man of peace concept from Scripture? Discover people of peace, relational networks, bringing the presence of Jesus into receptive circles. Help groups identify pockets of people networks to be reached. Publicize weekly testimonies as this is often caught more than taught. And then the last section is the manifestation, the presence of Jesus Christ himself. 18, practice the presence of Jesus every day. Knowing he wants us to behold his glory, he, we are never, ever alone. He has not left us as orphans. Challenge the church body to look for Christ, especially when serving others together. And 19, bring back the reigning king, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Matthew 24:14. Invest in the Christian Missionary Alliance regional and global partnerships. Devote the body to spiritual awakening in the Temecula Valley and world evangelization. And number 20, enjoy life on mission with God. Worshiping Jesus as the reigning and soon coming King. Out of the overflow of my joy and hope in Christ Himself, model authentic worship in Christ's likeness, preaching on our eternal destiny. When I read that to the staff a few weeks ago, there was a little bit of silence. Then the first person said, Wow, you got your work cut out for you. Which I'm like, Yeah, that's how I felt. When I walked through those initiatives, but then that person immediately said, no, we have our work cut out for us. And today I share that with you to freshly invite us in to those initiatives. You've been hearing about them, but they've not been clearly delineated for you. In this church, there are no secret documents or secret clubs and meetings. The elders have walked through this. The staff are laboring with it. We now labor through it as a congregation and, um, the next chair of leadership really are missional leaders for the decentralization of the mission into the valley. And who are those leaders as well? I am not so much overwhelmed by the task. I'm humbled by the task. See, when you step outside of ministry, vocational ministry as someone who's called in ministry for a period of time like I did before coming here, you know it's not about you. It's about Him. And Jesus can choose to use us or not use us. And when He called me afresh back into ministry and my ark landed here in Southern California and I've been embraced by you as a body of people, my wife and I both, 
I am humbled that Jesus still wants to use me and to use me in a capacity of leadership before you. I trust you're humbled as well because it doesn't matter what kind of meager gifts you think you have to offer. They are great gifts in the eyes of God. He gives his gifts as he so chooses and we together serve as the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head. He is the pastor. He is the leader. He is the Lord. And we are his body. And so we come together afresh as a body of God at the 10-year mark to say, Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness. But do it again. Let's head out for the next 10 years. You know that um, this concept of missional communities has been new. But we're going to share in a little bit how it's really old for us as a church. Missional communities of Christ in the Temecula Valley we've shared the last few weeks are hovering around the spirit of Jesus and the red-hot flame of the Holy Spirit. And we need to have passionate spirituality, radical community, and missionary zeal happening within our missional communities. These missional communities are groups of 20 to 50 people or so because of, in one sense, sociological paradigms with the next diagram that shows that only so many people sometimes can get in a hot, rich community that's on mission together. And as more people come, it's like the fire pit. The more people come, you get further and further away from the fire. So instead of you know, trying to, to get everybody to, to hang in and get a little bit of chill and a little bit of warmth, let's create many fire pits, many missional communities. And these many missional communities in the next slide will be operating during the course of the week because in the New Testament it talked about the Uh, the body of Christ was gathered and scattered. They gathered in the temple courts. They scattered house to house or in oikos as homes, as we mentioned. And so for us as a church body, the two primary things that we will be doing is we will have catalytic gatherings, Sunday weekend gatherings. Maybe if we grow, we'll have Saturday gatherings. I don't know. Uh, Maybe God will say do a midweek gathering. I don't know. But we will have periodic gatherings and we will seek to have catalytic worship and catalytic teaching and ministry times of ministering over one another. Those will be rich times. But that's not who we are ultimately as a church. We're a church that's in the presence of the communities. And so we have these missional communities, these fire pits, brandings of fire torches, and we are scattered during the course of the week. That's more of the social space dynamic. The gathering is more of the public space dynamic. But we will work a rhythm of these two. It was the first one underneath the, the movement section, right? A rhythm of gathering and scattering back and forth together. And we do not come here to get fired up. We bring the fire with us. And so I want to see hot missional communities, and that is the trajectory, not only the future, but it's the reason we're here today is because there were rich missional communities that started this church um, 10 years ago. We went around the three different aspects of the missional communities. We talked about passionate spirituality being a part of our uh, missional communities. We talked last week about radical community. But right in the heart and soul of every missional community, besides caring and loving one another and growing up with our kids together and being you know, there of support and praying for one another and having some fun times of fellowship together and radical community, those groups that we are in as missional communities need to see themselves as a strategic gathering of missionaries. Missionaries not to go out one by one, but to go out as teams. However that starts to look, however the Spirit of God so leads. And so missionary zeal is the third aspect. 
We highlight that today, though we will just always continue to talk about it and breathe more depth into it. Extended families on missions. We need to have missionary zeal. And the missionary zeal comes from different places in Scripture. This is another place we've been given reference to, which is in Romans 10, 13, says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone, someone tells them? Verse 15, And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. We've used this diagram of the Middle East, where it all started, back in Jerusalem. That small pocket of Christ followers expanded from there to Damascus, to Antioch, to Galatia, to Philippi, to Thessalonica, to Corinth, to Ephesus, to Colossae, to Rome. They exploded out as missionaries into these dimensions. But it didn't stop there, did it? The reason it didn't stop there, and I saw this in um, the movie yesterday, there's um, this verse. This is verses heart and center. As surely as the Great Commission, this verse is heart and center. It says, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to them. <laughs> what do we do now? Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. We are a continuation of that moment when Jesus reappeared after the resurrection with his disciples. And so, the expansion process goes on. Missional, missionary. Do you like Google Earth? I love Google Earth. I'm so glad I was born in a generation that had Google Earth because I like seeing the big picture. And when you go on Google Earth, this is true, you go on Google Earth and you put an address in and then you're like an astronaut and you're sort of, whoo, and the globe starts to turn and all of a sudden you land wherever that address was. And you go, no kidding. How's that possible? And you even see a picture of the street view, you know? Yeah, I can tell some of you aren't into Google Earth. I'm into Google Earth. <laughs> well, Google Earth, it started in the Mediterranean Sea area, right, in the Middle East in the known world at that time. But somewhere, somehow, something happened for you and I to be sitting in this room worshiping Jesus and seeking him out. There was someone who was obedient to the Great Commission, obedient to being sent, and became a missionary and came here. Now, I don't know how all that specifically plays its way out, but we went, uh, the, the, we go from where it's at in the Middle East to the Temecula Valley. Acts 1.8 says this, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He said that before he sent them to the heavens, right? So he's, excuse me, sending them out. The key I want you to see in the Matthew and the Acts 1-8 verse right here is it doesn't say than. It doesn't say in Jerusalem, than in all Judea, than in Samaria, and than to the ends of the earth. It says and. There are three levels of missional zeal that we need to have as missional communities and as a church. There's local missions. There is regional missions, and there's global missions. Next week, we are privileged to focus on the global missions as um, a great leader in the Christian Mission Alliance is going to be sharing with us about the global work of missions. What's happened here in the last number of months with this church is the missionaries that were sent here, Dave and Elena Reynolds, to start this particular church, have transitioned from local missions to regional missions and is now... Dave's now involved with working with the district, working with the West Coast, working with 
the Christian Missionary Alliance denomination and raising up church planters. But nothing's changed. We're still together on this, the one true church of Jesus Christ. We're on mission, but there's different dimensions of that mission that we work with. But we now land here to talk about the Temecula Valley. I changed the picture this week. Found another one. Romans 10:16. How beautiful are the messengers of those who bring good news. I want to invite the messenger who initiated this work. And um, I know Elena was with him in doing it, but it's just going to be me and Dave on the stools. I want him to come up, and I want you to give a word of appreciation for the missionary who brought this church into existence. Dave, will you come? Oh, good. I'm done preaching now. (laughs) We're just going to share together. As I said, we spent a couple hours the other day. Um, I think one of the rich things in heaven, friends, is the bond that we will have one with another because we serve Jesus Christ during this church age. We'll have great memories. We'll be able to talk about some of our wounds, too. And not those of us that just carry a pastor title. It's all believers in Christ. All disciples who went out to make disciples. But we get this moment in time, Dave, to share a little bit concerning um, the first 10-year run of the church and looking ahead. Um, I know that you came here, you and Elena came here, uh, not by your own choosing, but you felt the prompting of Jesus to come to the Temecula Valley. Give us your thoughts on why you ended up here as a missionary. With some of you guys, I've shared this before, and I'll, I'll try to be brief. But um, we just felt when when God called us to ministry, my, my reaction was, what? Us? Me? You're kidding. But we found out that our wiring was to go start things. And so, as I've told some of you, we planted a church in, in Huntington Beach. And that church was, by God's grace, able to reproduce. And then we went to the Northwest to... Um, Again, by God's grace, start up a church planting center, as we called it, that would bring together the strength of the local church, because churches plant churches. That's God's design. And bring together the strength of the Bible schools and bring together the strengths of the denominations and where all of those intersect to get some churches planted. And so we started a church planting center, and we were in a great, wonderful church, wonderful situation, really, wonderful friends, and something in our spirit just got the bug again mm. to go do it. And so we broke all the church planting rules and <laughs> left all that and moved down back to California. And we didn't want to go where we'd been. We wanted to come to someplace mm. new. At the time, the Temecula Valley was growing like crazy. Along the way, I met, I really loved what the CNMA was all about. I, I kind of adopted in. I didn't know them, but I met them in the Northwest. I got in touch with Bill, who's here today. And I called him and said, this is a crazy phone call, Bill. But he worked with me and helped us get settled. And anyway... We wound up in French Valley uh, after thousands of miles, but it was a new community. We sensed that everybody was there and nobody was connected, and people were coming. So we used the word connection a lot because we wanted to build community that would be a conduit for the gospel, Hmm. and that's why we went there. It's not easy to do the cold turkey thing because you didn't come with a bunch of people. Maybe you came with a connection with the CMA or that kind of thing and a heart, but it wasn't like there were, you know, 30 people meeting in a house and said, hey, Dave, Lana, come and be, and be our leaders, right? You sort of came cold turkey. I know where I came from. It was sort of the 
no people, no building, no money kind of thing. It was crazy, but God said, go to Indianapolis and start a church. And then a few years later, he said, start another one on the other side of Indianapolis. And we had them connected together as multi-sites. But um, talk about those formative days. We don't, we don't have any video recap here, okay? So let's go back and what was happening in those early weeks and months because God began to bring together a community. And in some of his thoughts on this, is, friends, this is exactly what God's calling us afresh to do in our missional community. I, I just want to say I appreciate the question first and your kindness in having us here. So thank you for that, Gary. Um, it was weird. <laughs> the ark thing, man, I'm so stealing that. <laughs> I'm so using that. It's like, oh, you know. At first we got here, and, and I know you know how that feels, it, it, probably multiple levels of like, what in the world have we done? Um, but then we found out God was already here. I knew Bill. Bill was kind, and he put us together with some connections. But um, when we planted our church in Huntington Beach, the Sunday after we left, a couple showed up there and really got embraced by that church, and she came on staff, and and I never met this person, but I heard about th- this couple, and they had moved to the Temecula Valley, and so I, I met them when we first got here, and it was Rosie and Rob Muni. I hadn't met them until we were in Temecula, and she was on staff of the church we planted in Huntington Beach. It was crazy. A couple of weeks later, uh, I got a phone call from some friends who I sort of knew from the Northwest, and they said, hey, we see you're in the Temecula Valley. Uh, we're here. So we went and had coffee, and so our team went from two to four to six, and that was uh, Dan and Kathy Allen. And then I think we were at the park at French Valley because the school was just being built and uh, we would go to Butterfield Park and we were hanging out there, I think, with, with Rosie and Elena and I and they met some young couple who had their dog with them and they started chatting and they came over and it was Josh and Tiff, Axine. And then Josh and Tiff um, let uh, Dave and Dawn know and they came and then I went to Sunridge Church and they allowed us to go. He allowed me to go preach there. We just That's crazy. Talk about kingdom-minded perspective. So we picked up team from there. And anyway, went from there. The cool part was we felt really displaced. Mm-hmm. But God, just because he's kind, really kind, I think he honored the, the, the little piece of faith. Well, and, and with this point, I want to highlight this because we've been encouraging that when we break into missional communities, our oikos is, and do this together as, as families, extended families, whether it's friends, relatives, neighbors, associates, whatever, we're asking people to listen to the Holy Spirit and watch for the Holy Spirit working. Whether it's finding the people of peace or affinity networks, that kind of thing. But what you experienced in coming here was the Lord had gone before you. And he began bringing people together in networks that ended up many being the base of who this body is still today. And so that's so encouraging, not for us as pastors only, but for you guys as well to know that you, you may be fearful, ah, this missional thing that that new pastor guy is talking about, missionaries, all that, oh, my gosh, can I just leave today or whatever? You know, no, 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 no. You're going to miss out on a bunch of stuff here. We are missionaries, but we are not sent out on our own. Jesus sent them out twos and threes at a time, right? And so he's going before you, and just as surely as you saw some of those networks come together in those early days, I think we're going to have testimonies of missional communities coming together and missional leaders sitting here in this stool saying, talk about what God's doing you know, in that neck of the woods or whatever. I was, I was telling Dave this week, I, um, I went, I don't know who's all here from it, <laughs> I went to Dogwood Court this last a couple of weeks ago. 
Anybody here from Dogwood Court? Used to live on Dogwood Court? You betcha. I drove down Dogwood Court because I heard that God started to reach the whole cul-de-sac. And I just wanted to go see this place. It's up here over there. And I drove down, and I, I counted the houses. There's like 17 houses in Dogwood Court. And I guess seven or eight family units had started to be a part of this local expression of the faith here because of one reached another. And you lived on, what was your road? Picasso Court. Picasso Court. And you had several too, right? Yeah, I had two things going on. God, God, he was kind. And I just, I love where Carrie's taking the church. This is exactly right, in my humble opinion. But he did two things. He gave us team which is the other believers that we could partner with, some people who got it. But then he gave us our mission field. My mission field was Picasso Court. So I went to got to know those people, did barbecues, hung out with them. And it was a pretty wild crowd then, kind of like Dogwood, you know. <laughs> but by God's grace, I think we had, I don't know, six or seven families from Picasso that we ended up at some point being able to baptize and have there in Dogwood too. So, you know, the immediate people next door, you know, that was that was a important thing. You know, and it's not new, whether it's referring to them as missional communities, referring to them as in, in communities, church plants, small groups, whatever. It goes all the way back to Jesus. It was his plan. He didn't come with a video production, right? He didn't go on tour. All right. He established a community of people and he empowered them with the spirit. He says, I will not leave you as orphans and greater things than these will you do because I go before you. I am thrilled to be able to be a continuation of this work, Dave, that you and Elena helped um, to begin. And um, I know there's several here. Maybe they were in the first service, maybe it was not yet. But if you were here and you were part of the first couple years, and it's not a hard line, but the first couple years of this church coming into existence, you know what it means when they talk about the Ellis Ministry School and you know what it means talking about the road crew, is that what you refer to it as, that kind of thing. I, would you just stand where you're at? Amen. Amen. I'm going to have Dave pray for us as a church body here in a second, just a blessing over us as we continue on this mission that God birthed in their hearts. Uh, But Dave and Elena have moved on from local missions to having their primary focus as regional missions. And um, share with us a little bit about uh, what you're doing now. We're continuing on with we feel like our God-given mission to help get churches planted. So uh, we're trying to bring together the strength still of the denomination, our Christian and Missionary Alliance family. The schools that we have, we have several all over the country. The local churches that become the birthing centers, if you will, for our congregations. And I use the three words really to uh, discover, develop, and deploy leaders to uh, start healthy reproducing churches. So we're about that. I'm working for Bill still. <laughs> Bill is our national director in church planning, and his mandate to me right now is to go survey the walls out of mm-hmm. Nehemiah and see what what are our strengths. Mm-hmm. So we, I just got back from the East Coast, South Carolina, where I got to go in Georgia. I got to see one of our Bible schools there, meet with the department heads, and they're saying, "Look, we want to send you guys leaders that come out of here. How do we get them in internships?" Mm-hmm. So I want to find those leaders. Find the let's say so, so somebody comes out of Tacoma Falls, they want to plant a church in Southern California. I want to be able to make the link, mm-hmm. put them right here. Under Cary, at Chorus Church, to plant a church out of here in two or three years. We want to do that all over, particularly on the West Coast is where I'm focusing. But everywhere. And so I want us to continue our prayer support and our championing of them in their life in this new mission. Not only at the vocational level, if I can use that word, but also on a personal level. Dave and Elena and uh, the, the boys are still in this valley. 
they are still knocking it down, trying to reach people. They are a part of us who we are. So love on them. Care on them. Being in communication with them. All right? They're currently attending the other Alliance Church in the valley on the other side of the 15, Cross Point. But they are a part of our local mission still as well in this valley. So I just want to give tons of permission that way um, because I'm enjoying, and I can't wait till my wife gets back and we get together as couples and that kind of thing, enjoying getting to know a brother and a sister in the faith who have faithfully gone before us. And we, as a family, my personal family, get to reap the benefits of their faithful stewardship of God's call to be a missionary to this valley. Dave, I want you to pray for us, but if there's any other words that maybe God just has on your heart to speak to us as a body, um, take it away, Pastor. Thank you. That's my first word. I, I want to say that I'm so grateful that you guys jumped into the ark and landed here, that you faithfully got uncomfortable again, because I know you're a faithful church planner and have done a ton of ministry. But I'm grateful that you came here, and I want you to know it does my heart and Elena's heart so much good to know that you are the man and the couple, the people leading this church for the, for the next run. And I want to say to you in front of everybody, I think it's exactly right. I think this is exactly right and exactly what Chorus needs and exactly where Chorus needs to go. Carrie gave me permission to exhort, so... Here's my exhortation. It's all good. I'm so grateful for to you guys because I know your hearts and I know your spirits. But where he's leading you, you want to go and have gone. So I just want to exhort you to to continue with this. Enjoy the flame. Enjoy the, the, the community that we have. And just keep giving it away and taking those crazy faith risks. We know, and you guys, many of you know, that God will show up and meet you there. I'm thrilled with this. and That's all I got. Thanks. <laughs> Well, uh, will you stand? And I'm just going to ask that Dave prays a prayer of fresh commissioning over us as a body for uh, the days, the weeks, the months, the years ahead as the Lord would tarry. Let's pray, guys. Just want to thank you, Jesus, and give you credit. We we were just stuck and far away from you, and you just grabbed us because you're kind. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we'd still be stuck and far away from you. So thank you, Lord, that you've given us the privilege to to know to know you, to know your community, that you came up with this wonderful idea of the church and that we get to participate as messed up as we are and how willing you are to use us in spite of ourselves sometimes. I thank you, Lord, though, that you do work in people's lives and you bring together radical, crazy change that only you can do. And you've done it in us, the people here. Love them so much and grateful for them. Thank you for their faithfulness, mm-hmm. for all the folks who are here and their love for you and their continual faithfulness in serving you. Thank you, Lord, for the folks that helped that you used to start this place and the folks who have come since that you're still mm-hmm. using for Carrie and Melissa and their family. Now, Lord, as they head into this next season of ministry, would you amaze all of us anew with what you do with these missional communities? Mm-hmm. You know the names and the faces and the hearts of the people who are far from you right now that are going to come into the kingdom because the people in this room take steps of faith to start missional communities. Would you please do that and we'll praise you. Thanks, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. You may be seated. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're just going to close out with a couple songs.
just acknowledging God's faithfulness, that He is able, that He works in our lives. May you continue to extend not only your praise to Him, but your prayers to Him for us as a body as we take the next step ahead. Um, Ushers are going to come to receive uh, the tithes and the offerings of the Lord today, as well as your connection card. If you would like to be in a missional community and you've not written the letters MC on the back of your connection card, uh, please do that. Over the next few weeks, months here, we're going to try to put together in a, um, a natural affinity kind of way maybe these oikoses, these missional communities. So thanks for that. Let's worship the Lord and worship Him through our tithes and offerings as well.